Welcome to Your Cathedral Podcast, a podcast from the Cathedral Church of St. Luke and St. Paul in Charleston, South Carolina. For more information on our church, please visit yourcathedral.org. Will you pray with me? Come, Holy Spirit, come. Come and fill this place. Fill each one of us to overflowing. And Lord, I ask that you would speak through me now, that my words would be your words, and your grace and your truth would be spoken, heard, and received deep in our hearts here today. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. Is it at age two or is it age three? I can't quite remember exactly, but there comes this point in a child's life when he or she starts to calculate. It starts with a child versus the parents. What can I get from them? What can I get away with? How long before they notice? And then if a sibling is added, there's a new kind of calculus. How much did he get compared to what I got? Am I mom and dad's favorite or is she? And then there's this one I just started hearing between my two youngest uh, recently. Can I call shotgun first? And then when we, they get out into the neighborhood crew of kids or they get to their school, uh, yet another kind of calculus emerges. How do I stack up? Who's the strongest? Who's the smartest? Who's my friend? Who's my foe. Before all this, of course, in those earliest months of life, there's no calculating going on. The calculating is actually the beginning of the loss of their childlike qualities. Before the calculating, the child is so small in stature that he or she is helpless and needy, open and trusting and adoring of the one who gives him or her merciful help. And these are the qualities, the qualities of a child, a small child, an infant, that Jesus holds up as the qualities for those who belong to the kingdom of God. And he does this overtly in all of the Synoptic Gospels because we have this account that we heard uh, of this morning uh, with the children coming to Jesus. There, it's mentioned in all of the Synoptic Gospels in Matthew and Mark and in the second passage of our passage today, the second part of our passage today from Luke 18. And so if you would, just let's look at that chapter in Luke's Gospel, chapter 18. If you brought your own Bible, open it to Luke 18. Otherwise, you're welcome to use the... Uh, Pew Bibles there, it's on page 877, 877 of the Pew Bibles. We're in Luke 18, we're going to be focused on verses 9 through 17. And here in verses 16 and 17, Jesus flat out says it. He says, let the children come to me and do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. But it's in the parable found immediately before this encounter with the children that we actually find out what childlike receiving of the kingdom of God actually looks like. So let's 
Now turn our attention to that first part of our passage today, this parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector. What is Luke saying here in verse 9? Jesus also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. That's his audience. Some who trusted in themselves thought they were righteous and treated others with contempt. These are people, for lack of a better word, who are doing lots of calculating. These are people who have counted up their deeds of so-called righteousness, and they've placed them on a scale. They've put them on a scale that they suppose is before God, but the reality is is that it's before themselves and other people. God doesn't seem to really be in the picture much at all. And as the New Testament scholar Alfred Plummer puts it, these are those who perhaps take a glance at God, but contemplate themselves. They contemplate themselves and calculate that they are righteous. But there's a problem because they don't think about this in terms of their status before God because they're not really taking much notice of God at all. But rather they are considering their status in comparison to others that they deem lesser. These lesser people they then treat with contempt. And so Jesus tells a parable to illustrate what a miscalculation this is. And just to make clear the stakes of this miscalculation, we should take note of the location where Jesus sets this parable. Verse 10, two men went up into the temple to pray. This parable is set in the temple, the place of the Holy of Holies, the the place where God dwells with his people. More than that, it is the place of atoning sacrifice. But immediately it appears there is some confusion here at the temple about the sacrifice that's required, at least by one of the men. Right? So we have the Pharisee and the the tax collector. Jesus begins with the Pharisee. And his prayer says all you need to know about how the Pharisee has calculated his standing before God and thus how he has calculated his standing above other people. Verse 11, standing by himself, the Pharisee prayed thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. So now if this is really a prayer to God, it's basically the Pharisee congratulating God on what a good job he has done in creating such a magnificent specimen such as himself. Maybe you've prayed like that before. I'm tempted often. Really, I am. Right? So it's like he's sort of, if he's praying to God, it's sort of this sort of sideways, oh, by the way. Right? He deems himself excellent because of all the sacrifices he has made. Right? Verse 12, he boasts, I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. And these are sacrifices that go well beyond even what the law commands. But perhaps this is what one might expect when one makes the calculation that the Pharisee has made. He has calculated that his righteousness is based upon his own sacrificial acts made for himself. As Luke puts it in verse 9, the Pharisee is the kind of person who trusts in himself that he is righteous. 
And so what he says here in verse 12 of his sacrifices isn't exaggerated necessarily. It's, and the problem isn't that he hasn't sacrificed enough. No, he's gone beyond the law. Here's what New Testament commentator Leon Morse says about him. He says, what the Pharisee said about himself was true. His trouble was not that he was not far enough along the road, but that he was on the wrong road altogether. This Pharisee clearly hasn't remembered his Psalm 51 and David's words in verses 16 and 17 of that psalm. For you will not delight in sacrifice, he says to the Lord, or I would give it. You will not be pleased with a burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. Oh God, you will not despise. Jesus says that the Pharisee is standing by himself. Or it could be translated that he's standing praying to himself. His miscalculation as he is on the wrong road altogether, has caused him to stand aloof, aloof from God, and consequently aloof from all others he deems unrighteous in comparison to himself, including this tax collector. And so the Pharisee is standing by himself. He's self-absorbed over there on the side. The tax collector, we read in verse 13, is by contrast standing far off. And so he's also standing apart from God in a sense, but for a very different reason. He's not aloof, but humble. And unlike the Pharisee who has done some calculating, the tax collector is like a small child stepping into an upper-level collegiate mathematics course at Georgia Tech, right? He doesn't even try to calculate. Jesus says, he would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast. He knows only his own utter unrighteousness before a holy God. And in this humble state before God, he doesn't even give the Pharisee or any other person around him a second thought. There's no sizing up that he's doing. There's no treating of anyone with contempt, nor is there any treating of anyone with covetousness or, 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 oh, I'm not worthy to be in the presence of this really cool person over here. He doesn't even take notice, it doesn't seem. He simply says, God, be merciful to me, a sinner, we read. And actually, the Greek doesn't say me, uh, a sinner. It actually says uh, that the tax collector says, God, be merciful to me, the sinner, The tax collector is so aware of his own sin that he doesn't even consider that there could be any other sinners. He is the sinner. Think of St. Paul. I'm the chief of sinners. He's the sinner. He says, God be merciful to me. The sinner. And that be merciful word translated uh, means something like, let your anger be removed from me. Or let me be propitiated. The tax collector has recognized that a sacrifice needs to be made in the temple. But as the sinner, he has no notion that it could ever be him who makes it. He comes to the temple like a small child, helpless and needy. 
And though he does not even lift up his eyes to heaven with his broken and contrite heart, he does fall upon the only arms he deems strong enough to catch him. God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Let me be propitiated by the sacrifice that can atone for my sin. He doesn't dare assume it, but he hopes and he trusts that God's sacrifice, that that sacrifice can remove the wrath that he deserves. So he comes to the temple like a small child, open and trusting. And though he was standing far off, he is brought near. And he is forgiven. He is propitiated. So Jesus says, this man went down to his house justified. And that's a legal term that Jesus uses. He's saying the wrath and the sanctions of God are removed from this sinner. He's receiving the comfort that St. John describes in his first letter, chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. You might remember these comfortable words. If anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. This humble tax collector went down to his house, justified. The one who humbles himself, Jesus says, is exalted. He is exalted. This humble tax collector went down to his house justified and exalted, and though we don't read of it here, it stands to reason that this justified and exalted man would then adore the one like a small child does when given help, merciful help. He would adore this one who's given him this merciful help and been his propitiation been his atoning sacrifice. The small child who is helpless and needy, open and trusting, when he or she receives mercy, adores the helper and then continues to trust. Unless one think that to be justified and exalted means there's a, a graduation We have this account of the little children then that follows right along after this parable in verses 15 to 17. And this is here to remind us that it is this childlike state that is the justified and exalted state of the kingdom of God. It looks like this. We aren't to be like spiritual wildebeests that, you know, somehow kind of get birthed and then have to immediately jump to our feet and Participate in the stampede, just like everyone else. We are to be like small children who can't even bring ourselves to the Lord, right? We're helpless. We can't even walk there. We can't make our way. We have to be brought. Think of the paralytic on the pallet brought by his friends and lowered through the roof to see Jesus. Here are these parents bringing their children. And the glory is that the holy God Though he be holy, his holiness is seen most perfectly in his mercy. And he takes the sinner, the helpless and the needy child that he or she is and blesses that child. In his record of this encounter, Mark mentions something that Luke doesn't. Mark 10, verse 16, Mark tells us Jesus 
took the children in his arms and blessed them, lay his hands on them. Though the tax collector stood far off and would not, could not, lift up his eyes to heaven, and though he beat his breast, though he deemed himself thoroughly untouchable, and again here, though the disciples rebuked these parents who dared bring their filthy, snotty, zero-status babies, deeming them thoroughly untouchable, despite all that, Jesus took them in his arms and blessed them and touched them. He took this tax collector's plea and answered it and forgave his sins and he went away justified and exalted. And these children are not mere sermon illustrations. Let's be careful about that. They are the very essence of belonging in the kingdom of God. And so whether we baptize little tiny ones, which we are doing today, or an adult, which we would love to do more of, the posture is the same. You could say be like a little child or be like this tax collector. And as we baptize today, Clover and Autumn and Landry and Skye and Alberta, this sacrament isn't merely symbolic. This is made manifest, this is the kingdom of God right here in our midst, in our very presence. We get to touch it, be present, witness it, and even renew it in our own lives, those of us who've already been baptized. This is what it is to receive the kingdom of God. And no matter one's age, this childlike, helpless need, open trust and adoration of the Savior is the humble state that will be exalted in the kingdom of God. And so today and always, I pray, may we all be like little children, like an infant in arms, taken by Jesus into His loving embrace and blessed and touched, justified and exalted. Amen.